Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Today I have my friend Andrew Chetel. Andrew is the Chief Operating Officer and a Director on the Board of TRX Gold Corporation, the company that is listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in the New York America stock market. Andrew, welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. I look forward to our conversation today. Well, Sheila, thank you very much. And as always, it's wonderful to be uh, uh, talking with you. And perhaps I could just add for the listeners that uh, we're busy building the Buckreef gold mine in, in Tanzania, which is our focus. That's fantastic. I'm sure uh, the Tanzanian government is looking forward to the revenue and indeed the, the employment and other opportunities that that mine will bring. You are most welcome. I, I wanted to speak with you about... Uh, this whole notion of public participation. Can you just tell us what do corporate, uh, you know, how do corporates see public participation in the context of mining and governance? Yeah, Sheila, that's um, a fabulous subject and I'm sure we're going to be able to talk at length about this. So I think first of all, it's important to define what we mean by public participation say, compared to stakeholder involvement or engagement. Um, so, f- first of all, public participation is the active involvement of, of the public through various structures into how, how we run our business and, and expectations of our business and, and, of course, how we meet those expectations. So I can go through some examples uh, a little bit later, but, you know, one of the things that's very, very important to, to us at... Uh, TRX and particularly at our uh, Buckreef gold mine uh, in Tanzania, which is uh, now operating at a thousand tons a day. Uh, we've uh, turned it around from a, a loss making operation into uh, now uh, making uh, uh, good good profits, uh, which we're reinvesting back into to the project to continue our, our capital growth. So um, during our conversation, I, I would hope that we touch upon a number of our examples, uh, land compensation, uh, how, how do we work with the government on, on CSR, uh, and how do we sort of talk about one of our concepts, which is extreme local. So I'll just hand it back to you, Sheila, for any comments at this point. Yeah, so um, let's talk about that. Uh, tell me, it's it's not a concept I'm familiar with, your, your concept of local. Can, can you explain that to us and how you see that as being linking directly with the importance of public participation. Yeah, so when, when you do go, um, and, and I like to use the phrase extreme local, we, we, we are using a lot of um, um, of our staff uh, coming coming from uh, near operations or uh, spheres of influence of that operation. Uh, we are also procuring uh, very, very locally as well. And this does then involve uh, Public participation uh, in, in, into into our business, so we then start having um, uh, the public uh, giving their opinions of how we're behaving and operating uh, in, in the area. And uh, let's just uh, take uh, take some examples. Um, I think to many of your readers, the concept, uh, your listeners, many of the concepts of say the hundred mile diet. Um, so. Uh, we're very fortunate in, uh, uh, to have a superb kitchen. Uh, we, we have uh, made a point of of being local. So there is 
Um, what about afraid the the kitchen diet is Swahili, uh, Tanzanian, uh, very little accommodation for, for people like myself at sites um, uh, because we are 100% uh, um, a Tanzanian at that site. So, you know, part of the expectations and part of the talking with the local leaders is let's let's purchase from the local markets. Uh, let's, as opposed to, for example, bringing in um, uh, international uh, camp providers. And, and, and this is, so our decision to do that has been very much influenced by uh, public participation, by talking with and by listening to uh, the feedback we're getting from uh, from the public around us, which is, please, um, can you uh, purchase as much locally as, as, as possible from the farmers uh, that, that are in the area? Hmm. The, fisher, the fisher people or fishermen or uh, also the cattle. So we we do make a point of of doing that, and, and, and that in itself has been, if you like, informal feedback and, and public participation. Uh, getting back to you. Hmm. So, yeah, this is interesting. So basically what you're saying is rather than come in with a preconceived notion of what is appropriate, from your uh, perspective, what was important was to first listen uh, and, and allow the voices of the community in which the mine operates to influence your strategies for procurement. Uh, diets and and also how you construct the mine such that you don't uh, proceed from the presumption that you know what a mining ecosystem looks like. Would that be about correct? That that that, that's, that is correct, Sheila. And that leads me to an, uh, another example in a moment. Um, so it, it is important to to, to listen. Uh, we'll, we'll touch on the formal structures that exist as well, but also I think. Very, very important to, to listen informally. So let, let me take you through um, another example, which we've been particularly excited about and which has resonated uh, now through a number of other uh, companies uh, in Tanzania. And, and, you know, you are also very familiar with mine construction. And as we moved our operation, we, when the new management team came in two years ago, uh, there was a small test plant operating at sort of nominal uh, five tons per hour um, at site, uh, loss-making operation involving about 80 people. So we, we looked at this and we thought, well, how, you know, obviously we have a choice. Either, either we shut it down or uh, we expand and make uh, more, more production. And we, we were very, very fortunate, uh, Sheila, to have access to a, a mill that came in from uh, China, uh, Expanding production now to about 400 tons a day, about 700 ounces of gold a month. And, and then it was our local team at site. And again, just emphasize the point that our, our team at Buck Reef is, is 100% Tanzanian. And uh, the interim general manager came forward and said, Well, look, instead of importing the steel tanks, the, the CIL, the carbon and leach tanks uh, from China or from South Africa, um, some of the people bring them in from Turkey. Because I, I live in the city of Monza, and again, for your, your listeners, Monza is the second largest city in uh, Tanzania and is located on the shores of Lake Victoria and, and about three to four hours' drive um, from, from our site. 
Interestingly, in, in, in Monza, there's a very sophisticated shipbuilding industry. When I'm talking about ships here, I'm talking about ferries that uh, um, we might be familiar with uh, in terms of crossing, uh, let's say, the Baltic Sea or, or the channel between uh, the UK and the continent of Europe. Uh, these are passenger ferries that are carrying 400, 600 people. Um, so, so the idea from, from uh, our, our interim general manager was, why don't we go and talk? Uh, with, with the shipbuilders and see if they can bend the steel and uh, all the framework steel that goes around uh, a mill uh, in, in terms of these uh, CIL tanks. And as you might imagine, this was, well, yes, we can do that. And bear in mind, we build ships, so they're a lot more sophisticated than what you're asking for. But we do have all the right equipment, steel bending, uh, plasma cutters, welders, etc. Um, just you know, if you bring us the specifications, we will uh, be able to make all the steel and put it on a truck and ship it over to you, and, and also help you with the construction. Um, so, so we did that, and this is all in the middle of COVID. The other uh, positive, unintended consequence is that uh, we, we addressed risks associated with supply chains that were existing uh, during COVID and that have continued to this day. So we substantially de-risked um, our, our supply chain. And then when we expanded from uh, 400 tons an hour to, to, to 1,000 tons an hour, uh, then taking our production up to a more meaningful 20 to 25,000 ounces of gold a year and then this phase two of three at this stage, um, we were able to go back to the shipbuilders, thicker steel, uh, it's a more complex uh, set, setup, but we also um, worked with uh, international engineers such as Orsenko, who worked with us. Uh, again, we send the blueprints down to the uh, to the shipbuilders uh, and, the, and the associated steelworks. And again, everything was built to spec. And I, and I don't exaggerate, Sheila, when I say that the we didn't have to drill one more hole. We didn't have to bend one piece of steel um, beyond what had uh, been uh, given to us. It was absolutely perfect. Now, mm. right, so you say, well, how does this tie into public participation? And again, one of the things that comes out of this sort of activity is, is that the public becomes aware of you. And you're now purchasing significantly in not just now immediately locally, but also um, in, in your region, which then also um, encourages uh, other actors, other, other miners, uh, to, to try something as well. So, I've, uh, in fact, only uh, yesterday I had another significant company say, "Can you can you take us through this? Uh, how, how did you do it?" Uh, but it all comes back to listening, and you know, when we were listening locally. Uh, to our team, uh, rather than uh, going uh, in a, should we say, a traditional approach of having a, a big EPCM program and you know all, all that goes with that, uh, so this this local approach starts to blur the boundaries, if you like, of, of public participation. Hmm. So. Um... That's quite interesting because you, I'm visualizing this experience and the extent to which you integrate your thinking and the way you do things 
uh, in the environment in which you are. And and I, I wanted to ask, you of course are an investor. Uh, money has been put by the public through uh, your listing and other forms. Mm -hmm. And you're looking for a return. If I were an investor asking you, um, from an ESG, a governance and other perspective, why is this kind of extensive uh, public participation necessary uh, for your company's business? What would you say? Uh, Sheila, I, I absolutely love this question. Uh, and one that I like to answer very, very passionately. Um, it, it's very, very important in, in terms of that ESG perspective. And, uh, and let me say, I'm, I'm, we're well aware um, you know, that ESG is sort of facing a little bit of uh, anti-wokeism in the industry. Uh, and, you know, we, of course, we have investors from all political sides of that in our company. So what, what we'd like to say to, uh, to, to the investors specifically is, um, and I just used the example that I gave about uh, using local shipbuilders. First of all, it costs um, considerably less money to do what we did. So therefore, we're spending the investors' money wisely. We were able to do it safely we're able to uh, get, if you, if you like, political cachet, um, kudos from the government of Tanzania. And we do enjoy working in Tanzania. Um, but, you know, these things help to build those, these kind of activities help to build those relationships uh, in a country. So we end up in a situation where um, the investors' money has been spent wisely and, and Therefore, we might like to say more profitably. Uh, we've built government relationships. The local economies have benefited. Um, and we've been able to sort of set an example for other uh, companies to follow in terms of this uh, approach of ex extreme local. So it's all one of those classic cliches, uh, Sheila, that it, it, it's a win-win-win um, for, for all those involved uh, in, this, in this particular stage of the project uh, uh, in Tanzania. Yeah, so it, it's also uh, what we we know as the license uh, to operate, which to your point, the risks are the social and and uh, regulatory uh, space. And, and, and I think quite apart from those relationship building and the stabilizing of that uh, environment, you are, aren't you, Andrew, also... For all intents and purposes, branding your company in terms of your values and uh, what you stand for and what others might expect of you who are, with whom you conduct business in the future. Would that be correct? That's very correct, uh, uh, Sheila. You know, and over the years, you and I have shared some very passionate discussions uh, and heartfelt discussions over the importance of trust um, and, and trust between corporation and business, uh, especially with uh, local governments, and, and I'm talking here district governments, federal governments, um, uh, including local governance structures. Uh, and this type of activity helps to build that trust uh, so that, uh, as inevitably happens, you, you, you do have to engage with governments. They're, they're not the enemy. They're, 
active uh, um, players, stakeholders in in these operations. You know, we, we're not we're not mining in a vacuum, right? And I think it's also very mindful that, say, for example, where we are mining, and the way I like to often say this is, you know, we are the major economic activity in the region around us. So we, we have Gator gold mine, massive mine, uh, anchor called Ashanti to uh, about 40 kilometers away. But where we are, you know, we are the main activity of the, for the villages around us, the towns around us. And there are expectations from people that live in these communities to have gainful employment uh, and, and to benefit from the, the, the gold mine that is now being built quite literally um, in their neighborhood. And it's a very reasonable expectation. But so to answer your question there is um, there are benefits that does brand the company. Uh, and one of those parts of that branding is that we are trusted partners. Hmm. Mm, I, I'm mindful that um, though you may be wearing uh, the TRX Gold Corporation hat that, in effect, you have had a lot of experience in not only different regions, but uh, different organizations, public uh, and private. And I wanted you to take a step back and, and, and allow us to look at participation from that perspective. So we, we know that we have governments, we have corporations, and then we have communities. Um, and I was trying to get a sense from you of how, in your experience, different regions see the importance of public participation. You've spent time in Canada where the First Nation people, for instance, mm. uh, this is a big issue. How does that, for instance, differ with the experience you now have in Africa and, and specifically Tanzania? Mm. Sheila, thank you for that question. Um, uh, for, for your listeners, I, I, I did spend uh, uh, just under a decade uh, working with Placidome and Gold Corp um, in senior management at the Muscle White Gold Mine in uh, northern Ontario, where we were a remote mine and had uh, uh, four immediate First Nation communities around us, when I say around us, within sort of 60 kilometers. And... Uh, the Muscle White Mine itself was also one of the very first examples uh, of, uh, one might say, a impact benefit agreement or a framework in which we operated uh, with the communities in terms of uh, target employment from those com uh, communities, training targets, um, we, uh, revenue sharing. Uh, so there was all of that going on. And of course, it's a big change for those communities. And similarly, where we are now, um, you know, all of a sudden we're putting a multi-million dollar business um, into an area which is, um, uh, unfortunately, very, very poor. Um, and, and, you know, everybody has, uh, you know, uh, a desire to, to do well. As one of, my, one of our friends says, uh, a meaningful existence. Uh, and, and I think that's very common. I think the humanity, uh, if you want to draw parallels, the humanity, the human side of it is, is very, very similar. Um, you know, there's a great desire for people to be involved in responsible, respectful relationships. 
Uh, and that's the common thread I see uh, going through it. Hmm. And the differences, if any? I think some of the differences would be in terms of, uh, in terms of numbers and uh, uh, in terms of the levels of poverty and infrastructure. You know, Canada, for example, is is obviously a very considered by many to be a uh, a very advanced nation. Although, just for a bit of humour, I must just say, but I was talking with our technical services manager whilst I was on a car phone whilst I was stuck in the. Six lanes of traffic, and he says, "And you call that civilization?" Um, but, <laughs> you know, but uh, and I used to say, by the way, very good point. Uh, but so the differences would be that level of uh, broader education, broader infrastructure that's available to the communities. Uh, you know, I, I know it's uh, a, a very contentious point in northern Canada: the, the access to drinking water potable water because many of the um, First Nations at times are underwater advisory notices. Uh, but it's still not the same issue as, for example, having to carry water from a river, which a lot of the communities uh, do do that here, or they have broken water wells, or the water wells uh, in the region has um, quite a lot of uh, amoebiosis or even typhoid. Uh, so th there are differences in, in terms of the, the extremes. True. The, uh, I'm mindful that we live in the age of uh, ESG and, and wondered whether, in your view, ESG has uh, changed uh, the way we approach public participation at all? I, I, I think it, it, it has, uh, Sheila. I, I think um uh, it it's made uh, the mind focus onto the fact that we don't exist in isolation that, that we have responsibilities uh, humanistic uh, participatory and I'll come back to that but also yeah we we, we 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 exist in business as an investment for people and and to, and to develop wealth for for, for nations so there's all these things that come to play um so I think it's very multifaceted. Uh, I think from the investor's point of view is, you know, this ESG is not charity. It's good business sense, and we have to be able to demonstrate that our activity, which, uh, can I just go back to the example of the, the local steelworks we've been working with, is benefiting the investors as well. And, and, and so what we do at uh, TRX is we very much consider that that our activity in terms of ESG is 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 everybody winning here, right? Are the investors benefiting? Is the community benefiting? Is the um, wealth of the nation benefiting, etc.? Um, I think you have to try and hold all of that uh, in 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 the same thought and the same activity. Yeah, it's. Um... This is everybody winning. It's a central question, isn't it? Because yes. it has everything to do with the sense that you're included, but it also has everything to do with sustainable development and intergenerational benefits. But then it is also to do with understanding that as a company, and, and as most companies now think, the realization is that 
those companies that merely focus on the interest of the shareholders place themselves at great risk socially and otherwise. And so this redefining, if you wish, of the, the reason for being is, is, isn't it even for a director one of your biggest challenges to rethink the, the, the role of the board? Would that be correct, uh, Andrew? I, I think uh, you know, the, the, the perception of, uh, of directors and, and often the perception of themselves in a company is historically, and particularly in a North American context, is that uh, uh, they're there solely for the benefit of the uh, the shareholders and let's make no mistake they're very very important to me have to respect the shareholders and work with them them too otherwise without that influx of capital it's just not going to happen right so it does come a responsibility with that but as a director um, ultimately the fiduciary responsibility is to the company and with it being the company that then also involves the uh, uh, the other stakeholders that you have to consider so you know, a good example would be in, in our case is um, we have focused on um, our relationship with the government of Tanzania, uh, the government of Canada. We're a Canadian company operating in a in a non-Canadian jurisdiction, and, and Canada's very keen to know what we're doing and that we're upholding values of Canada as we go about our business. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, uh, and, and similarly, in terms of our relationships with the government, the there are partners in, in our particular case. Uh, they're also uh, joint venture partners uh, in terms of uh, part ownership of the of the Buck Reef Gold Mine. Mm. It just, I know we're sort of uh, pressed for time a bit, and I, I would I would hate to leave this this conversation without discussing one other specific example, if I may. Um, Please. That, that does involve uh, an example of of how it, it can all come together and. Um, that is, as we've built this mine, and in, in Tanzania, we've had to go through what's called a, a land compensation process. And simply what that is, is we're all very familiar that you have to buy the land around the mine upon which you operate. And, and in our case, uh, it, it, it involved over 950 project-affected persons. And it, for me, it was a little bit of a different process here, the one that I liked. Um, you know, we talk about public participation. So to work on this very large land purchase involving just under a thousand people, uh, which has been successful, by the way, it's all I start with the end. It's been all very successful. Two two point six million dollars U.S. dollars has been in, uh, gone in terms of compensation into the community. But how it worked was. Uh, we, we did have to sit down with the uh, local community leaders into which community persons and project-affected persons could come and air their thoughts. And this whole process went on in three uh, villages around us until there was agreement uh, between the community, those affected, ourselves as, as, as investors, uh, and the district government and ultimately uh, the federal government, agreement had to be reached on what the price was going to be per hectare or uh, what the price was going to be the compensation for structures that were on the land. Um, now, there wasn't a large village to, 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 to be moved, but there were isolated um, houses and 
sometimes second homes where, where people were uh, staying during uh, harvest and, and the farming. Uh, and, and so there's different land uses, whether it's trees, banana plantation, rice growing. And there's agreement on the, the type of compensation per hectare of that as well. And a third party uh, company that was brought in to, to make all the uh, measurements. Now, that might sound like it's an extremely difficult process, but what we found is just by being patient, by going at the pace that was required locally, um, um, that we were able to sort of move and ultimately, um, uh, in, the, in the first phase, we had over 95% of the project affected persons sign up and agree. Uh, we've now had the others all sort of sign up in the second phase, what they call an addendum phase. Uh, and ultimately, been very successful. You know, it's had to go through to the, the chief valuer who read through the whole thing, just had one word, agreed. And and what we've subsequently done is you know, we've started to sort of say, well, what did you what you do? What did you do with that money? Um, we never gave people cash. We had to uh, we opened up if required um, bank accounts. Uh, everybody got some training uh, on that. And what we see around us in some of those villages now, all of a sudden, there's new homes. Uh, people have taken the opportunity to. Um, improve the, the, perhaps their existing homes with uh, uh, improved roofs or uh, paving. Uh, and so our next phase will now be a year later to to go back and revisit and, and meet with the people a year after this process. Uh, but so far, we've uh, received only positive feedback. And, and part of this, you know, our original discussion point has always been about public participation. It's such a big example of how the public was participated in participating with us as we had to compensate the land to build the mine, which of course is in the interest, as you rightly said at the beginning, interest of the nation, um, in terms of revenues, royalties, uh, jobs, uh, which are greatly appreciated. Uh, so um, I wanted to just talk about that specific example with you and maybe take any questions on it. Sure. Now, what what is coming across, Andrew, is that um, from your company's experience, what we are saying is um, public participation is not only essential, but it can be very time consuming and, and that it requires a lot of patience because you are, you are not only dealing with different issues, you're dealing with different interest groups and you're moving at a different pace, but that if you get it right, it is beneficial, least of which because it de-risks the social and regulatory environment. And, and I think that is an important message on which to end our discussion because I yeah. think it's, it's a powerful one for both uh, the publics, civil society and, and companies to understand that you can't rush these things and, and you can't necessarily put a time scale on them. Uh, you can't put a monetary value in absolute terms, but certainly you can see how from a mining perspective, an investor's perspective, that it does create the right environment in which everybody going forward can move in unison and also benefit. So I, I, I'm going mm. to suggest we leave it on, uh, on that uh, note. And thank you very much for joining the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Sheila, thank you very much. 
and, and I look forward to our next meeting. Thank you.